thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. This is part two of our year-end extravaganza, and what an extravaganza it has been. My co-host, Kayla Sinanj. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, we released an episode featuring many of our guests talking about family family-friendly or family family-friendly-ish movies. Please go back and listen to that if you want to hear some ghost-busting talk. Or maybe some Pixar talk. Uh, today we're going to get into some more genre stuff. We got a bunch of horror, sci-fi. Uh, although mine and Kayla's picks are both very loosely related to that. But close enough. Kayla, what is your pick today for a 2016 film which you liked? <laughs> My pick today is The Lobster, which is the English language feature film debut of Yargos Lanthimos, who directed uh, the Greek film Dogtooth and some other interesting stuff. Uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Leah Sido, and Rachel Weiss. And, oh boy, <laughs> is it a trip. Uh, my favorite thing about this movie, and why we decided just to kind of stitch it in with this one, is that it is the perfect mixture of weirdly hilarious like literally parts laugh out loud incredibly funny but at the same time deeply unsettling <laughs> and really horrifying yep. uh tyler and i had the immense pleasure of getting to see this in theaters when it ran in limited release because we live in ann arbor and we are so blessed <laughs> we had a a really great audience that we saw it with too I think uh, just a very receptive and responsive group of people who were right there with us on the edge of our seats as we kind of just ooh, our way through uh, if you are not familiar with the premise at all uh, everyone in this near future dystopian society is bound by law to have a romantic partner uh, maybe not romantic, maybe romantic is the wrong word, a life partner. Mm -hmm. And people who cannot figure this out on their own go to a hotel where they have 45 days to find such a partner or they are turned into an animal and released into the woods and hunted down by the other people staying at the hotel. Yep. So the title comes from Colin Farrell's character saying that he would like to be turned into a lobster if this doesn't work out for him. There's just a lot of wonderfully awkward... Uh, performances in this, especially Colin Farrell is, I think, kind of the king of just, like, putting himself into a persona for a role, regardless of what that is, because if you were to <laughs> if you were to watch this and then be like, oh yeah, that's the guy who also plays this character in, in Bruges, I would be uh, if I didn't know that ahead of time, I would be like, that guy did that? <laughs> no way! And He'll also be working with uh, Yorgos again on the next project, which I greatly appreciate because Colin Farrell is really good, and he just, now that he's finally found someone who will put him in a good movie, he really should just stick with him. Colin Farrell is really great, and I really like him, but yeah, he's made some pretty questionable choices in the past few years, but... Some. None so much as my eternal betrayer, Adrian Brody, so there's that at least. <laughs> But yeah, um, like I said, we saw this movie together. It was super fun. Probably one of my favorite things about the film was Rachel Weisz's uh, narration over top of everything. Slight spoiler, you find out that it's the, the leader of the loner pack reading out loud from her journal the entire time. And it just kind of throws this like absurd, ridiculous 
tone over everything. Like, their society is supposedly so focused on partnership and whatnot, but it's such a weird caricature of what we would expect from a, a, a relationship that it's reduced to, like, journaling about it like you would in the fifth or sixth grade. <laughs> the movie is very much divided into two halves. One, there's a slight spoilers, but it's also kind of key to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one In one half, Colin Farrell is in, a, in the camp where it's all about partnering up, and the other half, he's in uh, a camp where partnership is strictly forbidden. Mm -hmm. The loners. The loners, (laughs) yes. And a lot of people are down on the second half, but I still like the second half, even if it isn't as consistently delightful. Uh, Delightful in quotes there. (laughs) (laughs) There is a a fair trigger warning. There is a scene in this movie where a woman attempts to commit suicide by jumping off of a building, and that's in the funny part of the film. So, (laughs) Yorgos is... uh... I mean, I, I... I can't even recommend that you watch Dogtooth because it's not a pleasant experience at all. It's rough. But um, I think that people are down in the second half because it reveals the true nature of what Yorgos is like as a filmmaker. And, like, come, like I think a lot of people from an American perspective are just not prepared for that kind of, like, complete off the deep end. Even in that where it's going off the deep end, Rachel Weiss, we discover her character in that second half. <laughs> the nearsighted woman. Yes. And she adds a lot of heart as most of the heart to the film that's actually in the film and i it definitely changes the tenor of it but i quite enjoy it mm-hmm. um and i think it's kind of vital to making it all come together yeah so overall it is a generally funny if at times uncomfortable film uh if you i'm trying to think what's a good example of like that same sort of awkward <laughs> Honestly, and maybe it's because I just had a conversation about this director and just before we started this, finished editing that segment, it kind of reminds me of certain moments in Jeremy Sunier's films yeah. that are just very darkly humorous. And mm-hmm. you, it, it, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but the way that it makes you laugh even as you go, oh. So if you're watching this and then you're kind of like <laughs> down after, because I remember we left the theater and it was kind of just a big like... Because the the last scene is very, very tense. Yes. And so there was definitely a, like, wow, we should go get a drink now. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want maybe the non-alcoholic version of Winding Down for that, maybe watch Jeremy Sunier's uh, Murder Party. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was going to say, are you... How could you recommend <laughs> not green room, murder not party. blue ruin? Okay, murder, murder party, party specifically. <laughs> but yeah, so that is that. Tyler, what is your movie that you're going to talk about for this segment? Uh, so my, much like my movie from our previous episode, uh, The Fits. Uh, my pick today is a very underseen movie that is being greatly heralded, possibly even more than The Fits. Uh, my movie's Krisha. It is the uh, debut by Trey Edward Schultz, who also plays a somewhat prominent, if one-dimensional, role in the film. Uh, And this movie has received great praise, despite the fact that it's made on so little of a budget that the cast is basically uh, friends and family of uh, the director and including the uh, star whose name is actually the star is Krisha Fairchild and the film is Krisha and the entire the entire thing really uh, depends on her performance uh the, it's uh Krisha is about an 
older woman who has chosen to separate herself from her family for about a decade because she went to a really dark place with alcoholism and she's been recovering. This is a big step for her. It's her reuniting with this family who is very who love her but are very leery of her because of her uh, uh, destructive past, both self-destructed and harming all those around her. And we re- we discover more and more about the backstory as the film goes on and uh Krisha Krisha's performance is really key to this. We are with her every step of the way, but also the reason Schultz is getting so much love for his directorial job is because he does a really stunning job of following her. Uh, they're very long takes with the camera, just where it's positioned, like just outside of a door, the way that it lingers on a face so that we can see, so that we can see the emotional journey that Krisha is going on. We can see her face go from one emotion to another. And the fact that it all happens within the one take is not distracting. and really adds, uh, adds a lot of uh, weight to the performance. And uh, also, much like The Fits, utilizes a very uh, unorthodox soundtrack that is more sounds than music at many times. And just in, especially this little burbling track that really uh, gets across the heightening anxiety that's going on in her mind throughout the day. There's also cross-cutting. The film is generally chronological, but we go back and forth between scenes and we see uh, how certain interactions progress uh, in bit by bit over the film and we see how these we see how these interactions which seem like standard family talk kind of get very serious and start creating stress for her and it's all about it's all really winding and turning the key throughout the film and the tension keeps winding up and winding up between how he's using the camera uh krisha's acting herself and this score and he just does an excellent job of slowly crescendoing to this uh terrible climax it's really masterfully done in many different aspects and especially from a young director who had very few resources i mean it sounds like he's the fact that he's able to get such a great actress because like you know tight family friends and family relations and all that i guess uh you know there is some privilege to that but he didn't have a lot to work with compared to uh most directors who receive this kind of acclaim and he really crushes it and uh it's just an incredibly impressive film and in it, it and is um is not at all a horror film but is horrifying and bracing in a way that not many films horror otherwise are able to elicit from me and it is definitely one of the best films of the year it's also yet another one that is free on amazon prime and is yet another a24 release because <laughs> tyler stumping for a24 this year sorry I everyone movie, stumps so I... for a24 <laughs> i also stump for a24 i can't even like act like that's not true but yeah. <laughs> I, I will say oscilloscope uh, oscilloscope labs released the fits and i they if it wasn't for a24 i'd be stumping for oscilloscope all the time because they also did coherence and a number of other great films so you know uh retroactive praise for they have terrible them. dvd covers though 
every oscilloscope DVD that I ever handled oh, at Family yeah. Video has, like, instead of an actual art on it's the, the disc, it's just oscilloscope yeah. up across the whole disc. And yeah. I'm like, this makes me feel like it's bad. I thought you meant, like, the bot, like the DVD no. cover-up. But, like, yeah, the DVDs themselves, they all just say oscilloscope. <laughs> Fun fact, if you've worked with physical movies, you can always tell if the movie's bad because the case will smell weird and chemically because they didn't have money to get a good one. <laughs> but this movie's good. <laughs> uh, Chris is really good. A24 had an absolutely insane year. It's going to come up again on our third segment on Friday. But uh, that is all we have for today, I believe. Yes, we will be heading into guest segments after this, which is very exciting. Yay. Which will be uh, almost all of them are much more straightforward horror and science fiction, including some of the best hits of the year. We just had to get like our hipster bullshit out of the way first. <laughs> And, you know, this episode also includes the two people I go to the most all the time for the past few years when it comes to anything that's horror. So, really, you're in for a treat. Not to mention a bunch of other people we love. Yeah, so yeah, we will catch you again at the beginning of our last episode, episode three. Uh... You know, it was originally, we'll see. Uh, There are supposed to be three segments. We will catch you again at the beginning of the next episode. (laughs) People have been very generous with their time and have been very excited to talk about their favorite movies. And it's very heartwarming. And thank you, everyone, whether you are involved in this effort or listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of the content for this episode. Leela Emparo, co-founder of Noku, and Leela, thanks for joining us again. Our last uh, our last talk didn't work out so well. Uh, no, it's all right. I'm happy to be here again. You know, even though we do have a, a mystery episode floating somewhere in space, so but it's fun though. It's a fun thing. It's very fitting because it was about an alien abduction movie. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, good that true, right? <laughs> it was it was always meant for space. We just didn't know. Yeah, it's just lost in the ether with time. So, and it's kind of fitting for this one too. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of space and aliens and mysteries, tell me about the movie you brought today. Movie I brought for us today is Arrival. Just came out last month, Amy Adams, and I'm hooked. You know, I know this time of year there's always that space movie. You know, from Gravity to Interstellar. This year we had Arrival, and I was overly excited by this one. Yeah, I managed to see it, too, a little later than I wanted to, but er- early enough that I had a couple different showings to choose from. And, oh, okay. You know, I like the director, Denis Villeneuve. I like some of the other stuff is done, but I, yeah. I haven't I haven't really loved something he's done, and then this one just came along and gobsmacked me. For some reason, I wasn't expecting it at all. <laughs> yeah, and no, I think that's a perfect way to describe this one. I mean, you know, there was, there was clues throughout it, of course. But by the end, I was just a mess in the movie theater, just quietly crying and just so struck by everything that took place in it. And yeah, and this movie, it has so much of the stuff Villeneuve has has in his other films. It looks gorgeous. Um, It's got 
some excellent performances and it has this mystery throughout it but i totally was not prepared for what the answer to the mystery was and without saying what it is it's it's so stunning oh yeah no i completely agree you know and i think I, I love it, too, because in a lot of these sci-fi films, they typically bring in, you know, more of the, the heavy-duty players or the roles, whereas in this one, you have Amy Adams playing a linguist. And typically, you know, for end-of-the-world type of movie, you don't expect a linguist to be the one to go in and save everything. And so I really love the aspect that they had on, really on, like, what language and culture plays, you know, for our world. And, and that really, I think, struck a chord with me, was just seeing how a character you wouldn't typically see in this role just just stole it and just went and made it her own and it's so unexpected in so many ways because it's an alien invasion movie that isn't full of explosions and fighting and it's it has this the hero the protagonist that you wouldn't expect and it unfolds in so many ways that you we don't really think of that often when it comes to anything involving aliens at all yeah yeah, it's definitely, it was almost like, I guess if I could put it this way, like an elegant alien movie, like total opposite of Independence Day. You know, that's what I tell everyone. I'm like, it's not Independence Day. So if that's what you're looking, you you know, you found the wrong movie, but it definitely, it has so much depth to it. And I mean, and, and like you'd mentioned, you know, every aspect of it, even the music. Um, I know he'd recruited Johan Johansson again. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know the Scandinavian uh, composer and he, you know, he just brought a whole nother layer of how the sound interacted with the design in this movie. I mean, it was, you know, this movie could have no dialogue and it would still be really gorgeous. Absolutely. For a movie about language, some of the movie, yeah. the moments with no dialogue are the most gorgeous. It, yeah, that's it true. just checks off. So not, doesn't even check off boxes. It does all these things that I would not have expected and would yeah. not have anticipated working as well as they do. Yeah, it really does. And one thing that I like, and I think this happens in a lot of the space movies that we've been seeing recently, is that impending doom type of fear. You know, Interstellar had it with like the food, uh, food shortages. And this one, in the beginning, you kind of have that that sense of fear because you know you see the classes being let out, and you see Amy Adams' character Louise just kind of walking around of like, okay, these these space pods are landing on the you know on the planet. What does this mean? What does this mean for humanity? And so it, it definitely at some points actually kind of it really did scare me because it's like, oh, man, what would we do in that situation? And I think it does such a good job of playing on that. Yeah, it doesn't shy away from the way uh, certain people or countries would react to this yeah. unknown yeah. force just appearing in force. And yeah. I, I I really appreciated that it's acknowledgement of that. And it just... God, it felt it just felt very honest and touching. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it definitely I think was it portrayed what humans really would do in that situation, and you know, and that's a combination of good and bad. That's for sure. Um, so it left us this haunting feeling, you know, and especially as you go on in the movie and you start figuring out what's going on, you know, why they're here and what we're doing to communicate with them. I mean, it was just it was a really touching film. And even. Even the final mystery, how it parallels with the events of the rest of the film in an in, in a less direct way. And it's, it, it's based on this short story that I've been told is excellent, and I can't wait to read the short story because the way that this comes together, I imagine it must be a pretty stunning piece of writing. Yeah, well. right. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to read it. I was, I've read bits of it, but uh, but yeah, just for him to be able to translate a short story into this, I beyond me, you know. And he does it so well that I think when everything settles in and it hits you 
you're just kind of left reeling, you know? And like I said, I, I know I cried. Um, most of my friends, like, I don't know anyone who didn't cry during this movie. So I think that should say something. It's so hard not to. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't sure. So like it, the movie looks gorgeous and I don't know if Denis Villeneuve's capable of making a movie that isn't gorgeous, but I had noticed that, um, he works, he works with the same people all the time. Johansson yes. has scored all of his movies and Roger Deakins has been the cinematographer on him, on a lot of them, but he wasn't on this one, although he is back for Blade Runner next. Oh, okay. Bradford Young is also, he did the cinematography for Arrival and it turns out I had forgotten he is pretty incredible himself. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It just I didn't looks realize. so good. <laughs> Yeah, Sicario, that was the last movie I'd seen by him, and that was another one that him and Johansson, I mean, that whole group of individuals, that that one really got to me, because, um, you know, I live in an area where that's pretty much a, a daily thing, and so seeing that he can go from Sicario, this, you know, drug cartel movie, to all of a sudden Arrival, which is a forward-thinking, you know, futuristic film, I mean, I don't, I don't see any harm this guy could create. Everything he does is stunning. Have you ever seen uh, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal? I have not seen that one. It's a totally different movie from both of these, and you should really? check it okay. out because it's just this little, really bizarre character mystery, and it's that even more so than any of his other movies I've seen. Oh, just wow. makes you really work to try to figure it out, and has a really bizarre twist. And it's he. I, that's one thing I love about him is he does all these vastly different things, but they're still yeah. very much him. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Just looking at this, it's something I definitely, I feel like would be right up my alley. So by all means, I'm going to have to check this one out. Enemy. Yeah. And his friend, I've only gotten into a little bit of his French work, but it's also, I mean, it's pretty recognizable. It's just not in English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on Arrival? Um, You know, I felt like it was actually as far as like scientifically speaking, like some of the roles and the details were really great uh, because someone close to me, I can't say who, but uh, they, uh, they're a theoretical physicist. And so of course, Ian, his role is that as well. And that to me, it was just, it was really interesting to see how well they had played that because I caught myself a lot of times being like, Oh yeah, such and such would probably say that too, or, or have that same reaction. And so I really liked those little, just the little add-ons that he had put for each character as well. Seems like they they put all in all the work and nothing seems it all it, all the details seem exactly right and I, I I don't know if that's how a linguist would approach it but he certainly makes it seem that way. Yeah, right. I know. I would love to actually get a hold of a linguist and ask him or her if that's that's what would happen in that situation. But uh, but either way, this this story it was just really beautiful. It was heartwarming. It was scary, fascinating, everything. And and of course for me, you know, it had aliens, so I can't really go wrong there. <laughs> I think the biggest mystery that the movie had that I still haven't figured out is what accent Forrest Whitaker was trying to do. Oh, good point, right? I, it, it went very Boston at first, and then I don't know where it went. It just ventured that's, off. <laughs> that's how I feel with most of his characters, Forrest Whitaker's characters. It kind of starts one area, and then next thing you know, it's totally opposite. Yeah, I don't... It, it, was, it, it didn't bother me that much, but it definitely stood out at one point, because it, there was one line specifically that was very Boston, and it was never really that afterwards hmm. yeah that is an interesting point but uh, at least amy adams and jerry renner did amazing i mean those two worked really well together too so i this is before it's out of theaters people really need to get out they need to go see this this is an amazing film absolutely and it's def and it 
I, I'm glad because it actually did quite well. And yeah, a lot of the movies I love this year, I don't think any of them failed per se, but they didn't take off the way I'd hoped. Like Green Room didn't take off. The Edge of Seventeen yeah. didn't take off. But Arrival did really well. I guess the lobster did too, but you know, you win some, you lose some, and it's nice yeah, that this one won. <laughs> yeah, no, I was happy to see that it, that it stayed in theaters as long as it has, and and hopefully, yeah, hopefully more people will get up and go see it because this is this is a great film. One of obviously my favorite of 2016, that's for sure. And I'm suddenly very excited for Blade Runner because he, yes, <laughs> yeah, right. Seems like he'll have a good handle on it. Do you have any final points on the film, Lilo, before we wrap up? No other final points. I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but I highly recommend it. I mean, let's just put it this way. Every grown man I know has gone and seen this, and they've come out crying. So that should just that should be enough of a review for you to get up, go, and see this movie. I, yeah, I loved not knowing the mystery. I think it'll still stand up incredibly well when you know the answer, but not knowing Correct. the first time is stunning. Yeah. <laughs> But thanks for coming on again, Leela. We look forward to having you again soon. Why don't you tell us a little about your own work, especially Noku? Yeah, thanks, Tyler. No, so right now I'm currently the co-founder of an online subscription, Noku. Each week we send people just an array of different songs, uh, pretty much any under-the-radar type releases, and the occasional uh, oldie as well. Uh, so yeah, so if you get the chance, visit www.nokkuo.com. It's free, sign up, and you'll get an email with some new tunes next week. And I know last week, or was it this week, you had the best, your best albums of 2016. I did, yeah. It's actually almost 20 hours worth of music. I couldn't just do a, a 10 or 20 song list, so I just threw all the albums together. A few EPs, a few singles, but uh, quite a mix, you know, everything for everyone. Yeah, I think that'll have people covered for a while, including me. Yeah, yeah feel free to dive in. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. We look forward to having you on soon. Big thanks, Tyler. is ian stanley co-head of chill mega chill records and contributor to portals ian how's it going today i'm doing pretty good how are you awesome thanks for joining me man and uh what movie did you want to talk about um i chose green room and it was a very decision easy decision it's my number one of the year uh, i love green room so much we've talked about it a couple times on the podcast already but i will always jump at the opportunity to talk about it again like, I know I love Green Room, but what do you love about Green Room? Like, what made it so great for you? Well, I mean, I was a big Jeremy Saulnier fan because um, I saw Murder Party way back in the day. Um, and then after that, he did Blue Ruin, which I think it was number, my number two of that year. Um, so then after Blue Ruin came out, he announced Green Room not too long afterward and just gave a very brief idea of what the movie's going to be. So I sat around waiting for about like two years waiting for Green Room. Just as it sounded like it was like so completely up my alley. And then when it came out, it just like it blew away all my expectations. It was just like so perfect. But basically, um, what I love about it is that on the surface, it works as like a purely visceral experience. 
you sit there and the things that he shows you and the, the tension that he rings out of the screenplay, like it makes you feel unsafe watching it. Like I had, I had literal knots in my stomach watching it, but the more you sit and think about it and the longer it's on to realize how, like how smart it is and how completely in control Sonya is of every single detail in that movie. But I mean, that's just like a very basic idea of what I love so much about it. I had no idea he was, was so in touch with punk music and the fact that it's probably one of the best representations of punk music I've seen in movies, which I guess isn't saying much considering the movies I've seen, but I just, I I love that. And going back to Blue Ruin, Mm -hmm. he's so good at ratcheting up tension and suspense and it seems seems so seamless whenever he creates these things. I know I'm never beset by, I, I don't feel like I have to, I don't have to uh, put a lot of suspension of disbelief into effect. His movies are just so brutal and God, I don't know. It's just so upsetting. Like just the, it's, the fear of the violence is more upsetting than the actual violence itself often. Yeah, that's, that's true. His movies are almost hyper real in a way so that when the actual violence does occur on screen, it is extremely brutal and hard to watch, but you're right. The actual tension leading up to it is almost worse. Although there are some parts in green room that, you know, pretty like, gnarly. Like when the first band member takes a hit pretty early on that, that part is, it's hard to get out of your head. <laughs> and he does this thing a lot, or at least I feel he does this thing a lot where he shows this really brutal violence, but it's only for a second or two. Yeah, like yeah, we'll just get <laughs> we'll get like a nice tight close up of some limb being mangled or some some kind of uh sharp object cutting through flesh and we mm-hmm. it won't linger on there but suddenly that just that image is stuck in your brain and you can't believe that you actually just saw that thing on screen and oh man I... and it's not even seeing it it's the reaction from the band members and from the people being harmed themselves, or it's just it's even worse. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's weird to tell uh, people who don't know about Green Room that that they should watch and they love it so much because they ask what's going mm-hmm. on. I'm like, oh, uh, neo Nazis terrorize <laughs> a young punk band in a venue, and you see some people get brutally murdered, and it's great. <laughs> but uh, oh, he it's definitely one of my favorite movies of the year just i'd watch sonya do anything really like i watched murder party i think after blue ruin and green room yeah and murder party is a much more overtly comedic thing oh yeah but it's very different from his two feature follow-ups but Mm. it really even more fleshed out the dark humor that he has in both blue ruin and green room um Sometimes in just the absurdity of the things that are happening, I I, <laughs> I, I kind of stumbling for words because he's just so capable, and I honestly yeah, don't I mean, feel he's right. made a misstep yet, really. Yeah. I mean, even the, the last line of the movie is, like, you don't think you could take anymore. And then the last line of the movie, he just, like, slips it in there. That, <laughs> that, that little thread that was carried throughout the movie, it just comes back so beautifully in the end like even getting to know the band members and some of the stuff going forward it it feels like it should come off as maybe a little corny or 
yeah. inconsequential, but you really feel for everyone in this movie, which, of course, mm-hmm. makes me a little teary about Anton Yelchin, but alas. Yep. Um, what's his... Does his next one officially has have a name? Isn't like Red Rune or something, or is that just something people um, have said? He he said it was like purely coincidental that there were color names in the two titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next one, I believe, has to do with a man out in the wild being hunted by a wolf or something like that. So I, I, at least that's what I think. I could be wrong. But I don't know. I, last time I checked was a couple. Months ago, I think, and there didn't seem much information. I was like, "Come on, man, I need." I know, give me. <laughs> Actually, one of the oh, one of the saddest things for me is that Green Room didn't take off after uh, "Don't Breathe" and "Lights Out" did so well. I mean, it was yeah. before those, but like with those ones doing well, I don't see why Green Room couldn't have done the same. And it's just really a bummer that it didn't take off more when it could have when it has a lot of mainstream appeal. Um, yeah, I mean, if people can put up with some of the stuff that happens and don't breathe, Green Room isn't, you know, any more yeah. twisted in many ways. I mean, Don't Breathe came out, and that was even some people were like, if you thought Green Room was bad, check out Don't Breathe. And then I saw Don't Breathe, and I was like, eh, it's all right, but there's no Green Room. You know? <laughs> See, my what I, what I saw Don't Breathe, my expectations were lowered enough by other people. Don't Breathe especially had this, there was a surge of, this horror movie is so riveting and so crazy, you you won't believe it, and it did really well, and then there's this backlash of people are like, I don't know, it's <laughs> it's alright. I mean, visual, it, I think visually, uh, Alvarez is a really interesting filmmaker. I think that Don't it, Breathe kind of fell apart screenplay-wise, I got a, bit, a little bit corny. Yeah, that... That didn't fully come together. I went off track, sorry. But uh, Green Room <laughs> made like three or four million dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was really bummed. I think it could have done a lot better. <laughs> it definitely could have. I mean, it, it got a pretty wide release, too. Yeah. I don't think it was considered like a flop or anything. It just did not take off the way A24 hoped, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's also hard to market movies that straddle different genres like that as well because it was not a straight horror movie i'd say no but that's the closest approximation of what you could call it it's a thriller but with a a thriller with some extreme violence you know and nazis yeah and it'll make your insides feel like they've been shredded and you need to go sit down for a while and cool off after you see it yeah yeah it was made for five million it made 3.8 so Maybe it made that back on DVD and Blu-ray and VOD, you know? I hope so. Um, Hopefully, I mean, as long as uh, he gets the chance to make basically whatever he wants next, that's that's the most important part. He's just so knowledgeable. I mean, going back to the the understanding of punk and hardcore, it's just like being at the intersection of film and music – and getting that sweet spot right in the middle to have like a, a true understanding of both is such a rare commodity. And he hit it right on the head. Which is especially so. cool for us because we also kind of try to straddle yeah. that intersection. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, I, God, it was just such a blast. I love that. I, I love seeing Macon Blair in every one of his movies. He's honestly my favorite part of Green Room, like his, his arc. There's so much going on in his, in his eyes through the whole thing. That if you're 
paying that close attention, you can kind of see where he's going, but yeah, making Blair is great. And I, I'm glad I, it's been a while since I looked at his IMDb, but he's working with a bunch of other great directors pretty soon. So I'm, I'm really hoping we start seeing him in a ton of things too. And we don't have to wait for, uh, Jeremy's movies to get a chance. Yeah. He's either writing or, or directing something. I think he's doing both. I oh, was working with E.L. Catch. That's cool. He's made, damn, he's doing six upcoming projects. Yeah. Logan Lucky, that's a Soderbergh one, isn't it? Okay, yeah, he's, he's, he's writing and directing one starring Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, another one of those guys doing a bunch of just indie horror movies and just turning them out. Oh, Sean yeah. Baker's next movie. The Florida Project. Uh, just looking at the directories, the directors he's working with, I'm really excited to see what he does too. And, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart's pretty cool too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I showed a bunch of unsuspecting viewers and they're like, wait a minute, is that Patrick Stewart? No, that's not Patrick Stewart. Yeah, it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, little, little bit different from his Star Trek roles, but it's fine. Any final green room things you wanted to bring up? Um, the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. Like even the deep cuts. <laughs> I was just listening to it yesterday, just going back through some of the soundtracks over the years and the year and I mean, the one that sticks out to me a lot is during the mosh pit scene, that uh, <laughs> that ambient music over it. But even the Ain't Right songs are pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- Russ Fisher wrote a piece for, for Birth, Birth Movie's Death Yeah. about uh, all the songs that were featured in the film but weren't included on the soundtrack. And that's just like another window into how much Sonya understands that world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him go back to it. I don't know. Maybe not right yeah. away. Because I want to see what else he has up his sleeve, but because yeah. he gets it so right, I would love to get mm-hmm. another movie like this. And I don't know anyone else who's going to provide it anytime soon. I don't think he will, because, I mean, he's he's made comments about how it was kind of the perfect time for him to do Green Room, where he is almost getting away with it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. going moving forward, his budgets are definitely going to increase. And studio demands are going to be a lot tighter. And so with A24, they just kind of let him do what he wanted to do. And he took us there. <laughs> Once again, just, I can't believe that A24 exists and it doesn't, I keep waiting for something to, like, something to fall out or, because I'm just so thrilled with everything they release that even when they pick mm-hmm. up the Sea of Trees, I'm like, well, you know, when you say it that way, the way you explain it, I guess I could see why you'd put that out, you know? Plus, you got the lobster and the monster and all the other the movies. <laughs> but, uh, Ian, before we wrap this up, uh, where could people find uh, the work for your record label, Chill Mega Chill? Um, easiest way is just Chill Mega Chill at Bandcamp. So just .bandcamp.com. Perfect. You have a bu- you always have October releases coinciding with Halloween, and I always mean to get them. And I'm awful. <laughs> I'm an awful friend and always forget to. It's cool, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking Green Room with me. Thanks for having me.
sitting with me now is Phil Meyer, past guest, good friend. Phil, tell us what your movie of 2016 is. Well, I came into this and I really wanted to say Arrival. And I think Arrival is my movie of the year, but a big thing happened where I realized this late in the year that people seem to have forgotten about 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I won't stand for that because 10 Cloverfield Lane was incredible in my mind. When, when I first saw that this movie was coming out, I was like, oh, good, another Cloverfield, because the first one was so good. I am an adamant supporter of the uh, very uh, small populace that despises the original Cloverfield, like the first one, and I cannot stand that movie. I've seen it so many times from friends wanting me to watch watch it with them, and it's terrible. I hate it. So when this movie was coming out, I'm like, oh, great. It's going to be another terrible movie, and I'm going to hate it. And then I started hearing things about it. I started hearing reviews and that it was actually really good, and John Goodman was in it. And John Goodman is my favorite current living actor. And I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I went and saw it opening night, and turns out to be one of my favorite movies this year. I, it, it's very unnerving, unsettling the entire way through, and I really liked that, and I'm normally not big on movies like that, but it just, it, it's a sense of fear throughout, cause you don't really know what's going on. And they give you just enough to keep you wanting more, and I just, I, I love that, and, John Goodman as Howard is just incredible. My sister still says that it was the scariest movie that she's ever seen because of John Goodman as Howard. He, she said he is terrifying in it, and I agree. He's incredible with the way that he carries himself, with the way that he treats the character. It's it's I can't say enough good things about John Goodman, but... Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the lead as Michelle, just completely keeps up with him in every regard. She is outstanding, and I, I, I just I love her performance in this movie as well. So it's 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 this awesome movie with these two great actors going head to head together in such a small place, and it's intense and it's exciting, and then you get to the what you think is the end. And it turns it all on its head, and there's more movie, and it's just, it's so exciting when that happens. And it's, it's played as a punchline, and you just, right there, you know that everything you thought was correct and also wrong at the same time, and I love that. I love that about it. The twist was in, amazing, and, and I still think back to that night driving home and just being like, wow, that was, that was so good. I want to watch it again. Can I go see it again right now? Can I just go see it again? And uh, it's it's just such a good movie, and I've recommended it to so many people. And unfortunately, most of them don't take my uh, movie recommendations <laughs> to heart. Well, when you recommend Speed Racer to uh, many people, they start to not want to see movies you recommend. So <laughs> you gotta save that one. You gotta save. That I gotta save it. I gotta save it. I can't lead with that anymore. No. I should lead with this. I should lead with this, and then and then wean them 
into Speed Racer. Now, Cloverfield did quite well. Are you gonna? Are you interested in the in the inevitable sequel at all? That will probably not star John Goodman or Mary Elizabeth Winston. I'm in. I'm. I'm interested in nothing that doesn't star John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 just amazing. But um, I I would like to see where the Cloverfield pseudo series, I guess, is what they're calling it, or something like that, goes because. I mean, I guess Cloverfield is Abrams producing movies that are one way but end up being another or something like that. I can't remember exactly what uh, – I read something saying that Cloverfield was more of an idea than an actual, like, series of movies. But I, I'm I'm now kind of on board with uh, the whole premise of seeing what they do with the next Cloverfield. I still will never watch, uh, try to never watch the first one again. But so I guess you're not. That doesn't mean you want them to bring back T.J. Miller in a John Goodman type role. No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> please, please no. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to finish up? Uh just I really want people to see this movie. I I I loved every minute of it and the. The ending, the scene right before the credits is my favorite scene in the entire movie. It's just, it, it, it gives me so much energy to watch it and it's just my, it's my favorite part and I hope that other people watch it and feel the same way because I know, I know a couple of my friends who did see it hated the end, the way it ended, but I, I really, I really liked it. That was a very divisive thing. The uh, ending of the movie seemed to really turn off some people who were otherwise on board or really, and it sounds like it did with you, bring it all home. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like uh, with uh, Stephen King's The Mist. Like, I-, I talked to so many people who hated the ending of that movie, and I don't th- I don't see another way it could have ended. I-, I think that that was the perfect ending for that, and I think that this is the perfect ending for this movie. And I, I, I just I don't see a way that it could end and bring everything to a nice close and close off the character arc. I, I don't I don't see any other way that that could happen except for the way that this movie ended. So I really hope people watch this movie. I really hope people enjoy it because I damn sure did, and I'll be watching it again very shortly. I'm sure. Well, I know my co-host would be turned off by a comparison to the ending of The Mist, but. I gotta say, as someone who also loved *Ten Cloverfield Lane*, I do agree with you, and I I hope more people watch it too, based on our little recommendation here. Yeah, go see it. Go see it, guys, and go see uh, *Arrival* too, because I wanted to talk about that, but I wanted to talk about this one more. *Arrival* will be co- accounted for on this podcast. Have no fear. Yes. Good. 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 <laughs> uh, thanks for sitting with me, Phil. We'll talk to you again in the new year. All right. Sounds good.
sitting with Evan Colbertson, a past guest on the podcast and co-host of the Now Screaming podcast. Hello, Evan. Hello, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for being on again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And what movie did you bring before us today? I picked Hush, which is a horror film um, directed by Mike Flanagan. It came out earlier this year. I think it made its premiere at South by Southwest, and then I went to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a pretty great one. Um, for listeners who might not know about it, it's a... It's a pretty typical home invasion movie, except the pretty big change that our protagonist is deaf and mute. And it's sort of built around that premise, which I find pretty fascinating. And it can mine quite a few scares and uh, visual cues from that, because they do have fun with that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the audience seeing what our protagonist can't even hear, so doesn't know that her would-be assailant is just around the corner is, is pretty pretty suspenseful. It's kind of like those moments in movies when someone has headphones on and it's just so loud that no one else can hear anything, that they they can't hear anything around them, except, you know, actually believable and spread out through the whole movie. Yeah, it's the whole thing, and it's pretty terrifying. Uh, what are some of the things you've really liked about Hush? So, I mean, I think the approach is really good. Um, it's It stars Kate Siegel, who is Mike Flanagan's wife. Oh, again, again, for listeners who don't know Mike Flanagan, he did Oculus and... Ouija origin of evil he's a really interesting director i think that um he he starts with these premises that i might be a little skeptical of i mean when i saw the trailer for Ouija origin of evil i thought it was going to be terrible but like it's actually got something to, to say so he's like a really really cool director and i just think that he minds a lot out of the the premise um i don't want to give too much away because i think that the suspense really is worth it but there's a moment in the first act that i think is totally brilliant where She's being harassed by this masked man who's mostly outside of her house. Um, and they do some cool things with technology, too. But she writes, uh, I won't tell. I didn't see your face. His response to that is to take off his mask so she can see his face. And it just, the movie takes such a sharp left turn from there. And it's really terrifying in a very different way. And I thought that was such a, a, a great way to subvert what this movie could have been, which is just this masked assailant, you know, harassing a deaf woman to something a lot more terrifying in, like, a human way. I think it's really cool. And another, an even less heralded role for John Gallagher Jr. than his 10 Cloverfield Lane role. I know, and so different. He was great in 10 Cloverfield Lane. He was, and he's great in this, too, just oh, yeah. with, and very, very different. <laughs> yeah, not not the role that he usually plays, is to say not, the least. Not at all. This actually, in retrospect, reminds me a little bit of The Strangers, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because it, the way The Strangers works is a little different, but that is also a movie that's very much about uh, at sinister characters appearing on screen in ways that the actual uh, protagonists don't see. And I don't know. I haven't I I haven't seen The Strangers in a while, so I can't actually compare. Yeah, me either. Uh, how similar that is, but very much got that 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 very ominous nature and it kind of builds a lot of suspense from what you see and less so what the character sees at least for you know a while definitely i also think the use of sound in this is really good because again our protagonist can't hear anything and they play with that i mean we hear environmental things um that maddie our, our protagonist can't hear but there's also a lot of like use of ambient noise and some of what's trying to simulate what's going on in her head. And I think it's really creative rather than just having a, a mostly silent film, which I think also could have worked, but I think that they went a different direction with it. And I really appreciate that. 
It's a really great idea, and I I imagine someone must have tried something similar in the past, but mm-hmm. I can't not in any way that I am very aware of. So yeah, <laughs> this this was nice, and another. It's a pretty interesting entry for Netflix into the uh, debuting these movies that actually have some acclaim to them. Oh yeah, I don't know. They're they're actual originals. I'm not a huge fan of, but the stuff that they pick up from other places, like the festivals and stuff, that stuff's pretty interesting. And I'm glad that uh, I obviously they don't give out the numbers, but it's pretty cool that Mike Flanagan got a chance to just kind of I don't know to get to get some more eyes this way. And obviously now between uh, Ouija. And Oculus, he's also getting some more attention. Yeah, to your point, I think Netflix is making some really smart acquisitions. And I think that there is, I mean, I have a podcast about Netflix horror movies, but I think that there is a great (laughs) market for, you know, these horror movies that tend to be pretty cheap to make that they can invest in and market effectively and and do good for themselves. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I I love Amazon too, but both have, Mm -hmm. have proven to be... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the business develops, but they do seem to providing to be providing homes for either weirder or cheaper or uh, just these filmmakers who like to do something different. And yeah, this... that might not have gotten a, a. I mean, they would have gotten releases, but they might not have found any home at all. Whereas, I mean, this is a movie that basically Mike Flanagan made with his wife and a couple other people, mm-hmm. and. I mean, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, part of the reason I came on to talk about it is because I don't think enough people know about it. It definitely needs some love. This has been such a great year for horror, and I think that this is something that people should uh, take notice of if they haven't before. But definitely, like, them giving a platform to these these small movies is just great. And this is going on a tangent a bit, but I will say the one downside right now I see is that the stuff that gets premiered on Netflix, say, just doesn't generate the same kind of doesn't get the same cultural cachet or generate the same conversations that the television side does. Yeah. Um, like I loved that. This is a hard one to sell, but I loved, I am the pretty thing that lived in the house and uh, some other things that went basically straight to Netflix from festivals. And they just, they don't take off the same way as like an orange at the new black does or some of that. Yeah. I'm hoping that'll change. I mean, I think that the big, the big play they made what was it last year with beasts of no nation that mm. really showed that like they're not really getting the awards consideration that they probably should. Like they're should be treated like a legitimate, you know, studio putting these things out. And so yeah, I think that the, it'll catch up to them. Right now I agree that the TV's getting too much attention. I think some of the TV's really good, some of it's, you know, more of a miss. But I think that they will be seen more legitimate as, as time goes forward. Because they've said they're a lot more interested in that original stuff than just picking up other people's catalogs. Although it will help if they don't focus so much on making original movies with Adam Sandler or Kevin James. Yes, but they need a... to they need to get off that train real quick. They got a four picture deal; they can't get it off it too quickly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's I, I'm going off a bit because yeah. I find those things so interesting. Did you have any final words you want to say on Hush? Um, I think it's it's just really smart. It's really different. I highly encourage anyone who likes horror to check it out. Even maybe if you don't, I mean, it's scary, but not in a not in the gory way that tends to turn people off. Um, I think a lot of people will really like it and just give it a chance. Wonderful. That sounds good. And thanks so much for coming on again, Evan. Thank you for having me. And why don't you tell us a bit about more about your own podcast? Yeah. So Now Screaming is a podcast in which uh, my partner Liz and I are planning to watch every movie currently streaming on Netflix, uh, whether that be the good, the bad, or the woefully under-budgeted. Um, we don't really pick our movies for the most part, so we have a roulette set up, and we've had to watch a lot of bad stuff, and also found some hidden gems. So, 
it's pretty cool. I encourage uh, if you like horror movies or, or Netflix to check it out. You can check us out at nowscreaming.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you, you know, listen to podcasts. I will say, even randomized, you've gotten a little lucky so far. You got Odd Thomas. Um, I I did not listen to the Reanimator or Hellraiser episodes yet, but those are at least uh, more worthwhile than some of the other films on Netflix. Yeah, I'm they're classics. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I love Reanimator, and uh, Hellraiser is certainly... It's, it's Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you guys check out next. You release episodes every Thursday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday, sorry. Excellent. Well, we will listen to you there, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again here sometime soon as well. Thanks so much. I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, sitting with me is return guest, good friend, and we've been chatting about horror movies for about 45 minutes before actually starting, Sean Lopry. Hey, Tyler. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, I can't help myself but uh, break the fourth wall right from the start and, you know, <laughs> introduce each other like we haven't been talking for the past 45 minutes. <laughs> Who but, am I talking uh, to again? Oh, oh, this is, um, sorry, wrong number. Okay. I'll uh, uh, call back. Okay, got it. Got <laughs> uh, but Sean, uh, yes. unfortunately, last time you were on, we talked about the thing, but that did not see the light of day. It is still buried in ice in a spaceship somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but today, uh, we're talking about a 2016 film of your choice. Which one did you choose? I chose The Witch. Uh, Robert Eggers, I believe, is the director. Um, like you said, 2016, uh, a family is banished to the countryside. And they get a visitor, a titular visitor. This visitor does not seem to have good intentions for this family. You get that vibe? Just a little bit, you know? There's a a light dash of bad vibes coming out of the witch. (laughs) She's not showing up like with a a nice cake or something to greet them with. She's more, ah, I can use you. I had this fight with my friends when we were leaving the theater. They were like, you think that she was like a good witch or a bad? Like, you know, there's good witches. Glinda, famously. Mm-hmm. Um, the witch from Bewitched. Sabrina. Nicole, Nicole the Kidman. teenage Sabrina. Witch. Yeah, she has a black cat. I have a black cat. Shout out to Misha. Um, anyway, uh, they eventually persuaded me that she's a bad witch. So I, I had to rewatch the film in that light, and I think I see what they meant. <laughs> Yeah, the the witch did quite well at the box office, even if it did infuriate half of the people who helped give it the seventeen million dollars or whatever it made. Sean clearly a fan of the witch, not someone who is infuriated by it. Yeah, what what's uh, stood out to you about the witch? Why do you li- love it so much that you chose it for this very podcast? 
Um, so there are there's a lot of horror these days and a lot of amazing horror, uh, but there isn't a lot of horror that, at least for me, um, and, and I say this as a massive genre fan, that that leaves you with that that dread that like it kind of freezes you in your seat. Um, and this is definitely one that that did that for me this year. Um, you know, there, there are obviously very, very clear reasons for that. Um, you said that we mentioned that we were talking a little bit before the the podcast and something that we agreed upon is, is score and and obviously the photography. Um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure where it was shot. I'm, I'm hoping for authenticity's sake, they were in New England, but it could easily be, you know, in, in the UK or something. Do you, do you know by off chance? Uh, not off the top. I think I knew once, but I have long forgotten. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, you know, obviously it takes place predominantly on this, uh, this piece of land. And, and so you, you feel the, you feel the, uh, you feel their everyday life. Uh, and you know, it's photographed in, in gorgeous black and white and, and the score is sparse and scary. Um, and just the, the overall atmosphere, um, it really just, kind of washed over me throughout the movie. So as, as it begins to introduce these, these ideas or these, uh, you know, uh, themes of religion and, and colonialism and, uh, you know, the witch trials and, uh, family dynamic, um, you kind of throw all those into a witch's brew. Ah, and you got a witch's movie. That works. So I'll let it go. I'll let it slide. <laughs> but oh, that is um, this is off the top of my head, and so I might be full of it. Like might be hot taking here, but it feels no, like, I like it. so often with like uh, similar stuff like this. It's all it is all about a very specific aspect of clone of the Puritan times, the colonial life. It's it's about the and usually just the Salem witch trials. It's always there's Salem, there's a witch, uh, there's a TV series about it, there are movies about it. Rob <laughs> Zombie made a movie about it. And this manages to draw on that without ever actually explicitly mentioning it, I don't think. And, I don't know, it, it, it is, obviously it is very big on the details. It's part of the whole marketing uh, before the fact and after it became a big success, talking about it after the fact, was about how accurate it was and all the detail that went into it and how long it took. And I think that specificity really gets fleshed out in how many of those things you're talking about are just brewed God, just uh that are brewed into the movie without the movie having to really take the time like having to go out of its way to comment on them or to have a bit of expo- exposition that really explains it it's and one of those things that that lends to the authenticity that you're alluding to is the language and i know you know it's probably been talked about for anybody that talks about this movie but um it, to me it really adds kind of it, you know the, the way they speak it, they, it's uh pulled directly from the the books at the time what's that guy's name i don't know why i'm blanking on it and i think it's important because the way they speak adds to like <laughs> what, why it's scary for me yeah so often i'm okay like if a movie takes place in a foreign place i don't mind if they don't do like if they just speak in regular english and don't worry about doing the uh the accents or anything but yeah. it's so integral to this this, this classic american story <laughs> that it 
it feels so real. And I know that's off-putting to some people. They don't go to movies for something that feels like it could actually happen or is super uh, realistic. But uh, when you're creating a terrifying horror movie, uh, it really works for me because I don't know that I've ever been more terrified than by this movie. Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. That's what I was trying to think. About. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like I, I right. Pretty, I've watched one episode of Salem, and I'm pretty sure the whole thing's based <laughs> around like his lineage or something. And it's all. Um, I think the main thrust of uh, Lords of Salem is all based on a Nathaniel Hawthorne too. I think he was like the main witch hunt guy. So yeah, Nathaniel Hawthorne's words straight out of out of like 1600s New England. Um, had a, a very uh. You know, at least to, to the way we speak now, a very stilted or, or a lot of, for a lot of people, difficult to understand. And, and something that, that, to me, that's something that added to the kind of the horror to this film is, is like, honestly, you don't necessarily always know what these people are saying, and especially the father. He, he's screaming, he's yelling, uh, you know, but with these thick accents and these very, uh, in a very archaic way of speaking. Um, and, and so, it's kind of like one of those things of, uh, you know, language is important, but kind of the overall sense of, uh, feeling that you get from the way people are saying things almost yeah. means more, you know? I, I'm kind of rambling, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, the language is kind of integral to the entire feeling of the movie. Um, Definitely. If they, if they were just speaking like normal Americans now, or, you know, <laughs> some like, half-assed, disaffected English, like old English of some kind, right. where they really dumb it down so people understand it, but you get it's ye olden times. Uh, it would, <laughs> it, it, it just wouldn't work as well, because the movie relies so much on that authenticity that it spends so much time on. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess uh, kind of moving from, from the authenticity aspect to, uh, you know, something that, again, that we talked about a little bit was what where does the actual horror come from? So we, we've talked a lot about the setting and the people and we've talked predominantly on the family so far. And I think that is kind of the, the most telling thing about this film is that, you know, the witch is scary and the idea of the witch is scary and what the witch represents is scary. But what the witch does to these people is really kind of where the horror comes in. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, the walking dead is really the people. Did you know that? Like one of those things of like yeah. the witch is really the family, not necessarily the actual witch herself is, you know, so that, and to me, that's uh, again, in another aspect of why, why this thing freaks me out is because I can't relate to, to some screaming demon in the woods, but I can relate to having a fucked up family. Um, not that mine is fucked up, but you know, we all have instances where we have, we're, we're arguing with, with relatives or loved ones or, or, and, you never know if put in the situation that these people are in, how you would behave, you know, you hope that you wouldn't start wanting to kill your children, <laughs> um, you know, but some of us do. And, you know, we got to respect that. You know, the loss of a child is a very, uh, very upsetting thing. And, you know, some people react to it differently. Some yeah, of them sure. accuse their other children of witchcraft, <laughs> witchcraft and lock them into a shed in the middle of a harsh New England autumn winter somewhere in there. And then actually tr turn out to be correct. <laughs> that's she was not, right. Yeah, she was right. Like that's not that's kind of not the right ending for that uh, for that you know that lesson. But that's all right. <laughs> well, I was looking forward to making the joke that the uh, the horror came from inside the house the whole time. <laughs> Just with the witch, it's not the way you know. <laughs> uh, bonus bonus episode. I watched Black Christmas last night, and that's a 
timeless classic, one of the best slashers, one of the earliest slashers ever from 1974. It's so good. Everybody watch it. The call comes from inside the house in that. I've never seen it. I was just talking about this. I might fix that this week. I might do it. Back to the witch. Um, Back to the witch. So we got the score of photography. Uh, another cool, just like imagery thing. I mean, Black Phillip kind of has became iconic mm-hmm. uh, out on the outside set of this film, uh, but it's because he's awesome. And uh, what does he say? Why am I blanking on it now? Would you like to live? <laughs> Would thou like to live deliciously? And so it's just like that, especially was so out of left field. Like I remember turning to the people I was with, like, what? just happened um just yeah just unsettling as hell i love this movie yeah the way the witch is uh subtly hinting at things the whole time until it really <laughs> goes there and uh, a witch uh um yeah does something to a baby or you know a goat starts speaking in <laughs> demon tongue <laughs> and your other favorite part of that <laughs> oh god um, the the witch has one of the most upsetting visuals I've ever seen in a movie, and every time it happens, I recoil in horror and think of my dad <laughs> sprinting out of the room the first time I watched Screen Two a decade ago. <laughs> if only he saw the crow in the nipple, he would he would not know what to think oh, at man. all. If Screen Two did it to him, jeez, my uh, like my dad might actually just like spontaneously vomit. <laughs> And I wouldn't blame him. I'd be like, Mom, I'm sorry. Like, I'll clean it up for you. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know why I made this, made you guys watch this when I came home for Christmas. But I don't know why I paused this screen and it's been up for six hours. It's just. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have left it up for when you all woke up and came down to open presents on Christmas morning. That's my bad. I, you know, I was going for I'll something. I'll take the technical on that really one. It's all right. That. Merry Christmas, Mom. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is way more fun than anyone in the witch ever has. Yeah, that's point. very true. Well, actually, I got a you know, at the very end, Thomason. You know, are we doing spoilers? Spoilers. Yeah, go for it. Spoilers. Uh, she makes her ascent. I mean, that's it's kind of you know it's gonna happen the whole movie, but you know she makes her ascent, and so I mean, I, I bet at that point she's feeling a little bit better than she did like the night before, you know. That's true. She's like sick of all her family's nonsense and she's finally taking control. She's an adult. I mean, I think that's really what kind of the overarching symbolism, if, if not, you know, coming of age tale. Uh, in as much as any movie with people that are young is a coming of age tale. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's to me, it seems like a very clear allusion to, you know, uh, puberty and, and growing up and outgrowing your parents and not, not wanting to be around them. <laughs> um, you know, it, this is, uh, you know, a very extreme look at that. But I mean, I, I think it tracks all the way across of like, you know, there's, there's illusions, the whole movie of her coming into her womanhood for lack of better, for better term. And so the, the ending is kind of just that final step of like, you know, I'm an adult now, I'm going to go be a witch and you can't do anything about it. An interesting ending that is, like, sometimes you get the very obvious endings in horror where they spell everything out for you, and other times they give you an ambiguous ending where you don't really know what happens. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this feels like it's getting both. It's very unambiguous what happens, but it's also, like, the note it ends on 
I don't know. I guess it like really wraps up the tale, but it just it's so unsettling oh, yeah. that it gives me a very similar feeling to when movies end in a very ambiguous fashion. For sure, because you are satisfied, but you're still like, oh, I wish there were 15 more minutes because some real shit could go down. Yep. <laughs> it, everything leads up to the final moments, and even though it's the perfect final moments, you want more. He's ah. Yep. Yeah. Play it again. <laughs> Run it again. Put the reel back on. And then this line of thought is probably really played out and like was relitigated over and over again. But this was a real dividing line between critics and fans on what real horror is. Mm-hmm. And I've I've never been the type to think that you need like jump scares or anything like that to make good horror. I I I feel perfectly horrified just sitting in existential terror at what might be. Absolutely. The people who were into the witch later got con- the Conjuring Two and Don't Breathe, which are both probably exactly what they were looking for right they want jump scares they want you know gore and mm-hmm. i love well i like don't breathe less the more i come away from it but i still think it's really cool um mm-hmm. and i don't remember a whole lot about conjuring 2 but i adore the first one but yeah i mean those are your traditional horror movies whereas this and what i don't like when this conversation happens is what people are kind of trying to say is is like well just be, because it's exemplary means it's not a horror movie that means it's a family drama it's like no horror movies can be good i mean in the 60s and maybe into the 70s horror movies were being nominated for best picture like that's just stuff that doesn't happen anymore for some reason and i hate like even in the 90s the silence of the lambs got nominated but that's definitely got to be the last one i would imagine um and that was pretty close 25 years ago which it's it's nonsense um but if if that got this movie talked about in a different class, then I guess I'm okay with that because I agree that it is in a different class, even by even in, whether it's horror standards or film standards, you know. And now he's well, Robert Eggers wants to make Nosferatu. Oh. So that, uh, that's a remake oh, I'm on board for. Gosh, <laughs> that it would be great. I mean, it oh. would. I I think it would actually erase the stain of Dracula <laughs> Untold from ever existing. <laughs> Like, Universal has finally given it up and said it's not part of the monster movie universe, and now Robert Eggers is just going to take a nice big eraser and just... Man, I bet he could make... You know what would be really cool? They'll never do this, but if he made a silent Nosferatu, I bet that would be amazing. That that would be amazing. I guess guess the artist was made, but that was in France and not a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> I think we've basically wrapped up on the witch. Did you have any final thoughts on it? Uh, not necessarily. I guess it's. I love it. It's great. Everybody yeah. go watch it. It's on Amazon, yeah. I think, right now, right? Amazon Prime. Yes, it is free on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So if you have Amazon Prime, go stream it. If you don't, buy the Blu-ray. Support physical media. Amazon Prime, who seems to have uh, some kind some kind of deal with A24, because they are getting all the A24 movies. They have. That, The Lobster, The Neon Demon. Oh, wait, no. That wasn't Amazon. But they have, like, Morris from America. Green Room. Green Room. Oh, God. Green Room. Also so good. Also on this podcast, either before this segment or after this segment. Hey, Ian. How's it going, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on, Sean. It was a pleasure to have you on again. And we we look forward to having you on again in the future. Tyler, thank you. Hopefully, uh, maybe I'll be back for the thing, right? Oh, you're def- you you have your name on the thing. It's okay. just a matter of at some point making it happen. Maybe in the dead of winter, we can all terrify ourselves with what's lying underneath the ice. I'm down for that. 
Fucking up and it just go Promise that you can for yourself It ain't all good, it's like him